0: You got your Bibles open up to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is where we're going to be this morning. And today we're going to talk about an open door. Now, we started this story, uh, the beginning of last week, when we began to talk about Peter and him going and speaking to Cornelius. And we're going to finish that story today. But today we're going to talk about an open door. Now, it's interesting when you think about the idea of an open door, Jesus himself called himself a door. In John chapter 10, beginning of verse 7, Jesus said this. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus Christ is the door of salvation. In fact, Jesus himself would later declare, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He is the door. There is only one door to heaven. There's only one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus Christ. But there's not only the door of salvation that he speaks of. Even in the book of Revelation, he talks about the door that he can open and close. In Revelation 3, verses 7 and 8, it says these things, says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. In other words, he's speaking to the church of Philadelphia there and telling them, I've given you an open door of ministry. I've opened it wide for you to go in and do what I've called you to do. But he would also see this in the book of Acts. We would see this in Acts uh, chapters 16, where Paul is praying about where God wants him to go, what God wants him to do. And he begins to pray. He wants to go into one area and God closes the door. And then he begins to pray and he wants to go into another area and God closes the door. God has every right to close doors and close chapters in your life. God has every right to shut those doors and say, you know what? You need to stop going down that path. I have a new place I want you to go. I have something new I want you to do. God has the ability to close those chapters of our lives so that we can move on and do what he's called us to do. God closed the door for Paul and didn't want him to keep going back to the same churches. In fact, he sent him on over to Macedonia to start a new work to bring in new people, to open up new doors, and to share the gospel with a new group of people. God used him mightily. But Peter understood the open door as well as we talked about at the beginning of Acts chapter 10 as God had spoken to him through a vision. God showed him that he should not call any people common or unclean but God was opening a door of ministry for Peter to go and share the gospel with the Gentiles. God wanted to open the door and make a way for all people. Aren't you glad God's love is big enough for all People That he has such a love for you and me and all people of every race and nation, of every tongue, of every age and every gender. God has a love for all people. And he opened the door showing Peter he was going to do something great in and through the lives of the Gentiles. Well, today we're going to look at three scenes as the gospel is taken to the Gentiles. We begin in verse 24 with an open door. Look with me in verse 24. It says, "In the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Now it's interesting, Cornelius had given given a message by the angel saying, look, I need you to send and I want you to go get Simon, a guy by the name of Peter and he's staying in a tanner's house in Joppa. I'm specifically telling you who to go get and what to do. And as he sends for him, you're going to understand it takes four days for this process to happen. The day for them to begin their journey, a day for them to get there, a day for them to tell Peter they stayed the night, and a day for them to come back and then the following day they begin to talk to one another but what Cornelius has done in this whole time is he's not just sat back and said man I can't wait for God to bring me the message I've prayed about it God is giving me a message I can't wait I'm just going to sit back and I'm just going to sit in my house and I'm just going to wait for Peter to respond no Cornelius does something else he goes and gathers all his family and friends and says hey look there's a message coming and you need to be here to receive it You need to understand it's time to come together. It's time for us to get together because there's something coming that you need to hear. Not just me, but it's for everybody in my family, all of my friends, everybody in the city, anybody that wants to come, needs to come. Because there's a message for us. I'm here to tell you, we've got to have a broad, sweeping understanding that God's gospel is meant for all people We need to understand that God's desire is to save the entire world. He wouldn't have given us scriptures like, for God so loved the world, if he didn't mean it. He meant it, and he still means it today for your life as well. And so he says, I'm going to go gather all my friends. I'm going to gather all these people. He did a lot like Matthew. When Matthew was called, Matthew would gather up all his sinful friends. Let me tell you something. When you come to know Jesus Christ, you ought to gather up your friends and tell them what he's done in your life. And that's what Cornelius was prepared for. This message is not just for me it's for everybody i know and love as well oh it was an open door verse 25 he goes on he says and as peter was coming in cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him Now, please understand, he's given a message by an angel, so he's expecting something mighty. Now, a lot of people will understand this was just a sign of respect. He really wasn't worshiping him, but showing a sign of respect. But Peter did not want any respect shown to him in any manner. He wanted him to understand, I'm here by orders of Jesus Christ. I'm here to do what God has called me to do. I don't deserve any worship. I don't deserve the respect. You just sit back and you listen, because God is the author of this entire thing. Because in verse 26, it says, but Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up, I myself am also a man. Now there was Paul went through this. When Paul went into a city, they began to fall down and worship him. And he said, stand up. I'm just a man. Don't worship me. They thought he was Zeus. They thought that he was Hermes. They, they thought these men were, were false gods. And so they began to worship them. And Paul said, I'll not accept any of that. Peter wouldn't either. But in verse 27, it says, and as he taught with them, he went in and found many who had come together. Oh, how awesome is that? He said, many who had come together. In other words, Cornelius wanted to grab as many as he could. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. They would have understood this. They would have understood that Jewish men did not go into Gentile homes. Jewish men did not feast with Gentiles. Jewish men did not fellowship with Gentiles. And yet Peter is trying to share with them, hey, look, what I once thought was right, I was wrong. It is not nice to hear somebody tell you they're wrong sometimes? And Peter goes, I just want you to know we Jews were wrong. We've been wrong because God has intended this message to come to you all along. I can't call you common because God doesn't call you common. I can't call you unclean because God is not calling you unclean. God has something for you. And in verse 29, it says, Therefore I came without objection. As soon as I was sent for, I asked them, For what reason have you sent for me? Now, I love Peter. Peter just lays it on the line. Why am I here? What is it you need from me? In verse 30, So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed my house and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. When he comes, he'll speak to you. So I went to you immediately and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. I love that. He just goes, we're here to hear what you got to say. Now go. That's supposed to be like church, right? (laughs) We're here to hear what God has to say through you. Now go. That's kind of what he's saying here. He's like, man, we're ready. God has told us that you've got a message for us. We're just ready to hear. What is that message? What is it we need to know? What is it that we need to receive? What are the words you need to teach us? We are ready. That is an open door. But I'm going to tell you, I think the problem that we deal with sometimes as Christians is so often we use the open door as an excuse not to do what God has called us to do. Oftentimes we'll sit back and we'll say, you know what, God, until you open the door, until they open the door, until they speak to us, until they bring up the things of God, until they... No, that's not what God has called us to do. And that's why Cornelius says this. This is interesting. He says, we're here to hear all the things commanded you by God. We want to know what God has told you to tell us. We have been commanded. The word comes from partasso, which simply means a military order. Your commander-in-chief has given you an order. Now spell it out to us. I love that. You know, when we come to church, that's how we should be. The commander chief has given you a word. Now spell it out to us. Give us the plan. Share it with us. We're ready to receive it. I want you to understand, you won't receive more than you're willing to receive. The problem is many times we come with our plates full, with burdens all over our plate. We are so distracted by so many things that we can't be focused on the things of God sometimes. And so a lot of times we'll leave church and go, man, I didn't get anything out of it. Well, I ask you, what would you put into it? I'll ask you, were you ready to receive it? Because oftentimes we're too busy fighting before we come to church with our family that when we pull into the parking lot, we've already had Satan in the car and then we bring him into the church. Amen, Oh me? We've got to be ready to receive. We've got to be ready to hear what Jesus has for us to receive. And this guy just says, we're ready to hear what God has commanded you. You say, well, what has he commanded us? Well, he's given every last one of us in here the great commission. Every one of us is called to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things that I have commanded you, even to the end of the age, and I will always be with you. Amen. That's the Great Commission. Every Christian has been given that calling. Every one of us is called to go and make disciples. Every one of us is called to tell others about Jesus Christ. We've been commanded. The question is, are we ready to accept the command? I'll tell you, I love it when God opens doors. In 2004, we had an opportunity to go to do Iguaçu, Brazil, and share the gospel down there. I went with a missionary by the name of Philip Kessler. Philip was a great missionary there in that area. And he did missions there in Brazil and in Paraguay because we were right beside that country. And he said, we're going to go in and we're going to do some missions in Paraguay. And we're going to do what we call shop evangelism. He said, you're going to go down this street. And he said, there's going to be a shop here. And then another 10 foot, another shop, another 10 foot, another shop. He said, it's going to be like that all the way down this road. He said, now what you're also going to discover is that every other shop is a Muslim. He said, the Muslims have moved here to Brazil. He said, and it's happened right after 9-11. He said, what you're going to discover about them is that they're not happy with their faith because of 9-11. They did not agree with what took place in America. And what you're going to find is you're going to find many of them are open to the gospel because they don't believe what they used to believe. And when we went down there, sure enough, it was exactly what he said. And I remember standing in one man's shop for over 30 minutes, sharing the gospel with him, able to give him a Bible in his own language, able to talk with him about his need for Jesus Christ. And they went back later and started a Bible study with that man and his family and his friends. You see, God can open doors, but the truth is we've got to do what we're commanded to do with an open door or not an open door We've got to share the gospel. Peter was given a wide open door. Number two, we see a captive audience. Look at verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. I perceive that God shows no partiality. Jesus had already told the disciples, There are other sheep of this flock that I'm ready to bring in. Paul would later say in Romans chapter 3 that God meant to take it to the Gentiles as well and not just to the Jewish nation. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, Paul would say that there's neither barbarian nor Scythian, there's neither male nor female. He says there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free man, there's neither no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know what his point there is? He's not breaking down the boundaries. What he's simply saying is that the gospel is for all. The gospel is for all people. Can you imagine when we get to heaven, what heaven is going to look like? Oh, man, it's going to be amazing. And I'm not just talking about the landscape. I'm talking about those that are there. I'm talking about the way God is going to bring in people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, from young and old to male and female. There's going to be a plethora of people from all different parts of the world. God is going to show us that the gospel was always intended for all people. He goes on, he says this in verse 35 but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Now we got to stop for a moment because a lot of people get the wrong idea about what this passage is saying here when it says, in those who work righteousness. Because a lot of people get this understanding now that what Peter is talking about here is that those who work for the Lord, we don't work to earn our salvation. We work because we're saved. We don't work to gain eternal life. We work because we have eternal life. It's the same thing that James talked about in James chapter 2 when he said, faith without works is dead. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. You can't show faith, true and genuine faith, unless your life has been transformed, unless you begin to take on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The works will flow in and through you. I am blown away by people who claim to be Christians, but their lives never change. And they're going to stand before God one day He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. What Peter is claiming here is that God's changing lives, and he's changing lives by the gospel, and he's going to give a clear and concise gospel message right here, beginning in verse 36. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word, you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. The first part of the gospel is you got to have a proper understanding of who Jesus is. You have to have a proper understanding of who Jesus is. He starts it out in verse 36, and he makes it absolutely clear. He is Lord of all. He's not a secondary God. He's not an afterthought. He's not something that God came up with that was plan B. He's, he has been God from beginning, and he'll be God all the way to the end. He is God eternal. He is Lord of all. You can't just accept Jesus as Savior of your life and dismiss him as Lord of your life. If you're going to claim him as Savior, you better live for him as Lord. The Bible makes it clear. He says not only must you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, but you've got to confess him as Lord. You must confess Him and live for Him. He's Lord of all. If we declare Him as anything less. While well, I was in Turkey, I got to talk to a guy in Ephesus and share the gospel with him. He was a Muslim. And while I was there, I was talking to him about Jesus. And he said, yeah, we know Jesus. And I'm like, no, you don't know the Jesus I know. You know Him as a good man. You know Him as a, a prophet. But I know Him as Lord. He died for you. He loves you. He cares for you. And I could tell he began to get very uncomfortable with what I was saying. But the truth is, if you don't accept him as Lord, if you don't know him, who he genuinely is, do you really have salvation? Do you really know him? The Bible says we've got to know who he is. And he begins to give this story. And He talks about the baptism that John performed. Now, you need to understand, he wasn't baptized for the remission of sins. He was baptized to set an example for us. And not only was he baptized, it goes on and talks about how the Holy Spirit came down on him with power. And God used him and he did great miracles and he did all these things. His goal was to share the love of God with those people. you got to know and have a proper knowledge of who he is. But secondly, you got to have a proper belief in the death, burial, and resurrection. Because the end of verse 39, it says, "...whom they killed by hanging on a tree, him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all people but to witnesses chosen before God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is who he was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead." The death, burial, and resurrection, if we leave that off, we miss out the payment for salvation. Some people say, well, I, I can believe that Jesus was a good man, but that, that story about his death and his burial and his resurrection, you know, maybe he didn't die. Now, there have been a lot of people that have tried to disprove that Jesus even died on the cross. Let me explain to you something. Those guards would not have let him off the cross if he wasn't dead because they would have paid with their life. Those guys were experts at killing people. Plain and simple. And here's the thing. If you think about the resurrection and you think about one who, who was broken there on the cross like he was, bleeding from all over. And you can imagine him taking and rolling that giant stone back by himself, knocking out all the guards and walking out. Then showing up to the people and going, hey, look, this is what you can have as your life, a beaten and bloodied life. You got a wrong understanding of the resurrection. You see, he died. It's real simple. He died. He took your sins and He took my sins on His body on the cross so that He might pay for those sins. The only way they could be paid for was by the shedding of His blood, His precious blood for your sins and mine. He died on the cross so that we might be free, but He didn't stay dead. Three days later, the Bible tells us He rose up from the dead showing us that He's the first fruits of the resurrection and we too shall rise one day. The resurrection is real. There's only one tomb you can go to today and find empty. It's not Muhammad's. It's not Allah's. It's not not Buddha's. It's Jesus. It's the only tomb that is still empty because he's not there. And I love it. Before he even took it, they called it a borrowed tomb. It was borrowed three days. He's alive. We don't worship a dead God. We worship one who has risen. And not only that, but he showed himself over and over and over again to different individuals. In fact, when 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is written, Paul talks about this. And he says he died according to the scriptures and he was buried and he rose again three days later according to the scriptures. And he showed himself to this one and this one and this one. And he showed himself to 500 others, the most of whom are still alive. And basically what he said there was, if you don't believe me, go check it out. There's a whole bunch of people that can tell you he's alive. You got to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection or you don't understand the payment that was made for you you got to have a proper knowledge of Jesus, a proper knowledge of the death, burial, and resurrection, and also a proper understanding of repentance. Look at verse 43. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will have remission of sins. They'll have forgiveness of sins. Without repentance, there's no salvation. Repentance is the acknowledgement that you have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. To be honest with you, there's not one of us in here that can... Deny that we have sinned and fallen short. The truth of the matter is, you you sin very young. I promise you. Didn't take much the first time you told your parents no. But the problem was, is you were even before that born with a sin nature. You were born with a propensity to sin, not for a particular sin. Please mind you on that one. You were born with a sin nature, with a proclivity to sin, with a desire to sin. And Satan would use those particular desires in your heart to produce within you a desire to walk away from God. God knew this, and so he brought about his son that he might forgive you for your sins by taking your sin upon his body. And I love that passage says, he became sin who knew no sin. He didn't die for his sins, sins. He died for our sins. He died for our sins. And we must repent. Now, repentance is not something we understand very well because as children, we learn to just apologize. When our parents used to tell us, you go tell them you're sorry, and we would do that without even thinking about it because it just got us out of trouble. And some of us will do the same thing with God. We'll go to God and we'll go, I'm sorry. And we really aren't because then we jump right back into it again. Repentance is a turning away from sin. You're going in one direction. You ask God to forgive you for that sin. You turn around and you start heading in the other direction. And then God takes that pass and he wipes it away. He casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. Our God is gracious, but we need to understand. We need to have a proper understanding of Jesus, a proper understanding of the death, burial, and resurrection, and a proper understanding of repentance in order for the gospel to take root in our lives. Finally, we see a Holy Spirit transformation. Look in 44. I love this. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Peter didn't even get to finish preaching. I'm just fine with that. Some of y'all may say, well, let's start the invitation now. Go for it. I'll shut up. In the middle of his preaching, the Holy Spirit falls down upon these people this group that is gathered together to hear this message from God, receptive, ready to receive, and he falls down on them in the midst of Peter's preaching, and God saves them right then and there. You know what it doesn't take for you to be saved? It doesn't take you raising a hand. It doesn't take you walking an aisle. It doesn't take you praying a prayer. What it takes for you to be saved is saying, God, I am all yours. I am all yours. Take me as I am. That's the moment you're saved. It's not when you get baptized. It's not when you join the church. It's the moment you give your all to Jesus Christ is the moment you're saved. You can do it with a pastor or without a pastor. You can do it with a deacon or without a deacon. You can do it in church or outside of church. But the moment you say, God, I'm all in. I'm all yours is the moment you're saved. The Holy Spirit will fall down on you just like that. He's the gift that keeps on giving. And he fell down on them in the midst of Peter, preaching the word. And it says, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. Now, I'm telling you, they weren't astonished because church stopped. They were astonished because God moved. Man, we should never be surprised when God moves. We should never be surprised when God does something that we can't explain. But they were astonished. And it says, And many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered. God showed a simple sign. Now, a lot of people say, oh, well, that means, you know, if we get the Holy Spirit, we got to speak with tongues. No, it only happened a couple of times in Scripture. It's no guarantee. It just happened so that it would show the people of Israel Exactly what happened at the time of Pentecost has now happened for the Gentiles and that God accepted the Gentiles just like he accepted the Jews. That was the whole purpose in the sign in this story. Not to show you that you get some special gift. Some may get that gift, praise the Lord, if they do. Hopefully they use it in the proper manner. But in this instance, it was to show proof that God had moved in their lives as he had moved in the lives of the people of Israel. And then Peter speaks in verse 47, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? That amazes me. I'm going to tell you, I've done a lot of weddings. And one thing that I never do at weddings that I've seen in traditional weddings is, is there anybody here... That has any reason why these two should not get married. You know why I don't do that? Because I don't wanna know. (laughs) I do not wanna hear what might come out of people's mouths. I don't ask that question, and here's the honest truth it don't matter what anybody else out there thinks, it matters what the two in the front think. That's what matters. And I love it because Peter asked this question. He says, is there any reason why we should forbid them from being baptized? Anybody here disagree with what God just did? <laughs> Go ahead, raise your hand. I'll wait, right? I mean, you can just see Peter. I'll wait. I'll la- raise your hand if you don't think God's at work here. You know, not one of them was even thinking about raising their hand. They're like, nope, let's get some water. Let's get it done right now. The amazing thing is that they didn't wait. It says in verse 48, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. It's amazing. Baptism followed salvation. Why? Because it is a sign to the world that we are unashamed of what Jesus Christ has done for us. It is our identification with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Just read Romans chapter 6. You'll see what I'm talking about. Because it also goes along with the command. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you, one of the most joyous occasions in church is when we do get to see baptisms. It's one of the most joyous occasions because we see another person that has identified with Jesus Christ, that has forsaken their old life and repented of their sin and turned to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior of their lives. I pray today you've done that. I pray today that that is you. And if not, I pray today will be the day for you. You don't have to wait any longer. You don't have to hold on any longer. The amazing thing is the same gift that was given to Cornelius and his family is a gift that can be given to you, and that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to tell you that becoming a Christian means your life is going to get any easier. In fact, I'll be honest with you, it'll probably get harder. But what I will tell you is this, is that you will have a brother that sticks closer to you than anybody else. So that even when you're in the valley and those without Jesus are on the mountaintop, you're still in a better position than they are. My question for you this morning is, are you open? Are you open to hear the truth? Are you open to receive what God has done for you? Are you open to understand that you're here this morning for a reason because God wanted you to be here to hear this message? Are you captive see, I remember when I got saved, the words captivated my heart and I could not wait. And lastly, are you transformed? Because God is not going to start a work in you that he's not going to finish. And if you have not seen transformation in your life, then how captive to Jesus are you really? Today, I want you to take an evaluation of your life and just be honest. Are you open? Are you captive? Are you transformed?